We're in John chapter 9, and you're in for a treat because we get to read the whole chapter today. You ready? John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed And now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do, you, why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. 
Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. You can take a seat and may God bless his word as it's spoken this morning. Well, today is a very special day. Six years ago today, our son Caleb was born. So Caleb's sitting here in the front and it's his sixth, sixth birthday today. And I say that, uh, I don't think it's by accident. Um, I think it, it links to the story here. You see, um, in the story, is about a man that was born uh, blind. He was born into suffering with a handicap. And uh, if, if you don't know our story, uh, when Becky was pregnant with Caleb, uh, we went in for an ultrasound, and uh, the doctor said, you know, there is something on his lung." We can tell through the ultrasound that there's a mass on his lung, and it's, it shouldn't be there. And he said, and he, he talked about, you know, if this if this isn't resolved, you know, we may have to do surgery. They even talked about maybe even doing surgery while Becky was still pregnant, you know, opening her up, opening Caleb up, doing the surgery, putting everybody back in its place. And to us, that sounded pretty extreme. We were hoping we didn't have to do that, and so we prayed, we started praying, we started asking our Heavenly Father to come and heal in the name of Jesus, because we believe the same Jesus is here that was talked about in the Bible, that the same Jesus heals for today. And so we, we prayed over Becky, and I remember one Sunday morning here at this church, right in front, right here, uh, we prayed over Becky, there was probably 20 or so of you that laid hands on Becky, prayed in the name of Jesus, prayed for healing. And... Uh, we went in for another ultrasound later, in, later that week. And the doctor said, you know what? I think the mass is smaller. I think, I think it's getting smaller. And so, we, you know, we, you know, every week or so we'd go in for another ultrasound and it kept getting smaller and smaller until it, it disappeared. They couldn't see it towards the end. And, and on April 15th, 2012, Caleb Asher was born perfectly healthy. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and always. Praise God, yeah. So I want to dig into this story in a bit, but just a few, I want to mention a few things about the Gospel of John. Uh, if, if you're here for the first time, we're taking a long look at John, going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, we're on chapter 9 here. But a few things about John. Um, it's, it's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's unique from the other four. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called, often called the synoptic gospels. It's a, the synopsis is, is very similar. They kind of match pretty well. Whereas John is unique. It's different. 
John focuses uh, specifically on certain things, and it's, it's just organized differently as well. There's a number of things that are in the other Gospels that aren't mentioned in John. For some reason, John chooses not to include them. Um, for instance, uh, the birth, the conception and birth of Jesus is not mentioned. Either it's his baptism, his temptation, anything about casting out demons, the transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Last Supper, the Ascension, um, are not mentioned in John. So John is kind of this little more theological book on who, answering the question, who is this Jesus? And John chooses just seven miracles to, to, uh, to focus on, whereas the other Gospels, there was many more miracles. And of the seven miracles that are mentioned in John, five of them are unique to John. Only two of them are mentioned in the other Gospels. Along with the seven miracles, there are seven I am statements where Jesus makes a claim about himself. Pretty bold claims about who he is. There's seven of them, but I think it's interesting um, how um, some of them are linked with a miracle or linked with a sign. You see, uh, when Jesus did a miracle, John actually mentions these as signs. Signs that he is God, that he is the Messiah. Um, pointing to himself. And so with these, some of these uh, miracles linked with the I am statements, for instance, uh, Jesus fed the 5,000 and he said, I am the bread of life. And he, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in today's story, he says, after healing a man of blindness, he says, I am the light of the world. So let's get into this story, and uh, the way I, I'd like to divide it up today is by looking at the various characters in the story, um, and just, I think there's some lessons in there, some, some things that we can learn uh, through these characters, and perhaps um, you can relate to one or more of these characters. So first of all, let's talk about the blind man. What do we know about him? Well, he was born blind, he was suffering from blindness since birth, uh, Jesus spits, makes mud, and puts it in the man's eyes. Then he's told to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. By the way, many of our friends uh, will be going to the pool of Siloam later this week, which is pretty cool. It's a real place um, in Jerusalem. So they'll be going there. Um, so the man does this. He obeys Jesus. He goes, he washes, and he can see for the very first time. Can you imagine being born blind, never seen, and then as an adult, your eyes being opened and seen for the first time? You'd never seen your mother. You'd never seen your father. Um, you'd never seen a sunset. So here, for the first time, his eyes are open, and he can see for the very first time. So people begin to notice this, this that there, something happened, that a transformation happened in this man. And they start asking questions. And uh, he just, he really has, seems to be kind of a simple response, a simple testimony about what happens. I was blind, now I see. He put some mud in my eyes, told me to go wash, I did that, and now I can see. Just a, a simple testimony. And he, he, he sticks with this testimony even when the Pharisees are kind of pushing on him a little bit. Uh, they're kind of questioning it a little bit. Uh, they're asking about who this Jesus is. And he, he stands for him. He says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. 
I was blind, now I see. And they, they keep pushing on him and uh, says, have I told you already you didn't listen? Do you want to be his disciples too? He opened my eyes. So the man has a simple testimony of what God had done in his life. Later on, Jesus finds the man and reveals to him who he is. That he really is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And the man believes and he worships Jesus as Lord. And for the first time, his spiritual eyes are opened and he's able to see God for the first time. Just like he had been able to see physically for the first time with his eyes, now spiritually his eyes are opened. And so I take away kind of two things that, uh, two lessons I see in this man's story. Number one, that God's purposes are accomplished through our partnership with him. You know, we have a sovereign God. He's all-powerful. He can do what he wants. He could have healed the man instantly. But instead, he chose to do it with the man. Kind of a partnership. He did the mud thing. And he said, now I want you to go to the pool and wash. So God did his part, but then he said, now I want you to do your part. And so there's a partnership there. So I think that's interesting And I think that's true of us as well, that God is a sovereign God, and yet he often limits himself to the partnership with people. He wants to partner with regular people like you and I. That's pretty cool. The second thing I noticed from the man is just the the testimony, that there is power in a simple testimony. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to have all the answers. But if you've had an encounter with God, you have a testimony, and you can share that. And you don't have to worry about knowing all the answers. Um, you can just share that. Perhaps, you know, fear has, has held you back from sharing your faith. Um, but you have power, and just in your story uh, is powerful. So that's the blind man. Let's look at the disciples. The disciples are the second character we want to look at. So the story starts with them noticing the man and asking Jesus a theological question. Uh, Jesus, was it this man or was it his parents that sinned that he was born blind? So they, they, seemed, they seemed concerned with this age-old intellectual question on why is there suffering? Where does suffering come from? And it's a big topic, it really is. And I know I've wrestled with that one, and I bet a lot of us have wrestled with that that question of suffering, especially when our friends or family members are suffering from something like cancer or an injustice of some kind. We wonder why. We wonder why. And the disciples, uh, you know, they, they were correct in making a connection between suffering and sin. But they were wrong to assume that the man's suffering was because of his sin or his parents. Life is full of suffering because of the destructive choices of sinful humans. This goes back all the way to Adam and Eve. Sin has terrible consequences. Um, so we should. So what I take away from this is that we should not. We should not assume that a person's suffering is their fault. Um, That's that's wrong. 
Um, our response to suffering should be one of compassion. Uh, to me, it didn't seem like the disciples really cared much about the man or his suffering. They were more concerned with the, question, the theological question of it. And so my question to you and to myself is, when we encounter suffering, when we see it around us, what is our first response? Rather than judgment, perhaps we should be asking, what can I do? Is there something I can do? God, would you have me do something about this? Is there a way that I could help? Is it maybe it's just a word of encouragement or a simple prayer? But what is it that you're calling me to do about it, not why? I want to shift to the neighbors. Let's look at what the story of the neighbors. Their question was, how then were your eyes opened? So the neighbors noticed the man, and they could hardly recognize him uh, after this encounter. Um, I mean, to me, that's interesting. I mean, it was just his eyes that were opened. It's not like he, you know, had a face, face change or anything. It was his, his eyes changed, but they noticed something happened. It's like his whole countenance must have changed because some of them, they weren't even sure if it was him. Um, so it was quite a story, quite a buzz going around, uh, quite a news story. Um, and they were very curious about who this Jesus was, what was going on. Um, they wanted to know where Jesus was. Um, and to me, um, the, what I take away from this is the, the, their, their response. I look at their response and that it make, to me, it illustrates that when someone has an encounter with God, it makes a difference. And, and people notice that there's something different. You know, you can't just stay the same when you've encountered God, when you've had an, an encounter with him. So the neighbors, they noticed something in the man. And it doesn't really say if any of them came to faith. I don't know. Maybe some did, maybe some didn't. I don't know, but they did notice something was different about the man. Uh, let's talk about the parents. The next character we want to look at is the parents. We've got the blind man, the disciples, the neighbors. How about the parents? I don't know about you, but I'm not really very impressed with these parents. Um, they're questioned by the Pharisees, and they say, yes, he's our son, Yes, he was born blind, but we don't know anything else. He's grown up, ask him. And it says that he, they, they said this because they didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. They didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. So they, did just, they didn't want trouble, it seemed to me. Uh, the parents were more interested in maintaining the status quo than responding to what God was doing. God was clearly moving God just did an amazing thing in their son's life, but they were more concerned about not shaking things up, uh, not, not getting in any trouble. You'd think that they'd be really excited for their son. You'd think they'd be really happy, full of joy. They'd be excited for what this Jesus was doing. They'd want to know. They'd want to get in on it. But it doesn't say that. Uh, they were more concerned about getting thrown out of the synagogue. And so my question is, when, when God moves in a person's life, you know, we've seen this where somebody gets excited about God. Uh, you know, what's our response? Does that make us uncomfortable? You know? Um, and just when God, when God starts to move in unique ways, what is our response? 
Um, are, are we open to God moving with power? Are we open to God doing miraculous things? If God were to move in your family, if God were to move in this church, what would be your response? Would you embrace it or would you resist? Um, I, I believe that sometimes following God is a little bit dangerous. Sometimes it brings some trouble in our lives. And the question to us is, are we ready to embrace the dangerous, adventurous Christian life? Are we more about comfort and status quo? Let's move on to the Pharisees. Uh, We know that the Pharisees are not happy with Jesus, even before the incident starts. Uh, Last week we looked at chapter 8, and at the end of chapter 8, they were ready to stone Jesus for blasphemy. Now, in this story, they're ready to bust him for healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are very religious, as we know, but, and they love the rules, but they do not have a heart for God. They think that they can see, but they're blind to God himself. God is in their midst, and they can't see it. So, in the story here, they're questioning the man, and they're questioning the parents. They hear the facts, but they refuse to believe. They won't believe. They, they refuse to see, and they even get angry at the man. It kind of climaxes there. This, this, you can tell there's some passion there. They said, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? So they're pretty intense there. They, didn't, they did not like what was going on. They, they just couldn't see it. They're highly religious, and they think they understand God, but they refuse to accept what God was doing. So for us, for me and for you, you know, here we are in church, you know, but are we ever in danger of being a religious person and yet resisting God? We've got rules, but we're lacking in our relationship. Sometimes God needs to remove our blinders. He wants to experience his love and see him truly. To me, the Pharisees are a reminder and a, a warning to, to myself that uh, you, know, you can be really religious, you can be really sincere, but you might be totally blind to what God is doing. You might be totally blind to what God is saying. Or totally deaf, I should say, to what God is saying. Blind to God himself. So are your eyes open? You know, what are you blind to? You know, even as Christians, you know, we, we have, our hope is in Jesus. Eyes have been opened to Jesus. But I think sometimes there's areas of blindness, there's blind spots in our lives where we just cannot see what God is trying to, to do. We just can't quite see it. And we need God to open our understanding, open our eyes. Um, you know, sometimes this has to do with sin, but not necessarily. Maybe it just might be that you're stuck with a certain attitude, you're stuck in a certain mindset that God needs to change. That you're just, you're just slightly blind to it and, you, you, um, and you're stuck. Um, God may be wanting to show you someone or something that, that, he wants, that he wants to partner with you and to do something about. You know, I believe that you know, God is the, he's the most creative, amazing one that we can partner with and he will, give us, he will give us solutions to problems in our lives. He'll give us solutions that are creative um, if we just would open our eyes to him. You know, in my normal everyday life, I found that when I'm stuck, when I don't see it, when I don't see the answer, to me, 
I, you know, there are times I just need to step back and seek God. You know, for me, I like to turn on worship music and just sit quietly sometimes before him. You know, talk to him about it. And he really does give clarity and understanding a lot. You know, where there's been times where it's just like, oh, now I see it. I was blind before, but now I, okay, God, now I see it. And God is wanting to do that. I think it's so cool that we have a God that wants to partner with us, that we don't have to do life on our own. Um, We can partner with God. We'll open our eyes. But Lord, would you open our eyes? Lastly, uh, the most important character here is the Son of God, Jesus himself, the main character of this whole book. As we look at him here, Jesus doesn't get into a big theological discussion of suffering here with the man. He simply says, the suffering was not the result of this man's sin or his parents. Now watch this. But so the Son of God might get glory. This man will be healed today. So he heals the man. And here we are, 2,000 2000 years later, we're still talking about this uh, miracle of God. For me, I like the ending. I like the ending of the story where Jesus goes back and he finds the man and then he confronts the Pharisees. You know, seeking the man out there, um, I think that that's interesting that that it's Jesus that goes to the man, not the man that goes to see Jesus. Because if you think about it, the man, when he was talking with Jesus, he was blind. So he had never even seen Jesus' face. So even if he wanted to go and find Jesus in a crowd, he, couldn't, he wouldn't recognize Jesus. He couldn't find him, perhaps. So it was Jesus that went and found the man. And I like that. And he cares for the man, and he cared, cared for him, not just his uh, physical suffering, but he cared for the man's eternal security. He seeks him out, he finds him, and he invites him into relationship. You know, if you are hurting and suffering and confused, I believe Jesus is seeking you out. He's wanting to touch you. He's wanting to heal you. He's wanting to show himself to you and open your eyes. But if your attitude's like that of the Pharisees, uh, he confronts them. His challenging words to the Pharisees regarding their unwillingness to believe, he says, you claim to see, yet your guilt remains. So we finish on Jesus here as as a central character of the story and of the book itself. And, you know, to me it points back to the whole purpose of the book of John, which is found in chapter 20, where it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's kind of that's really the purpose statement of John, that these signs would point to Jesus, that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the Christ, and that by believing in him you might have eternal life. That's what that's what he was doing with the man there. And so to kind of summarize some of these things here, just these four statements. Um, number one, that Jesus opens blind eyes. Physically and spiritually, Jesus does this. 
Can you say with the blind man, or could you say with that man, I was blind and now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus is willing and wanting to open your eyes. Secondly, Jesus is the answer to suffering. Again, he miraculously heals this man as a sign. And I believe that healing is for today too. Miraculous healing is for today. And that we, as believers, should seek it out. We should ask and believe for it. I believe this. I know this. But at the same time, I know that in this life, that not everyone who prays for healing will be healed in this life. It's kind of this tension here. To me, I believe that, that these signs, and every time that God does a miraculous sign today, it points to the reality that Jesus really is God and that he will return and finally and fully deal with suffering. Revelation 21 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is our answer to suffering. Third, Jesus partners with regular people to accomplish his purposes. We talked about that earlier here, but again, the man had to step out in faith. God did his part. The mud, the man did his part, walking out in obedience. And God is wanting to partner with regular people like me and like you to accomplish his purposes. Are you open to that? And lastly, Jesus is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Again, how Jesus went and found the man. He made it a point to go and seek him out. He was concerned with this man, man's eternal life. In a way, all of us are born blind to God, totally blind. We don't know God. We don't see God, and we need our eyes to be opened. And it's through faith in Jesus that our eyes are opened and that we can see God. Jesus opens blind eyes. Jesus is the answer to our suffering. Jesus partners with regular people, and he's waiting for you. I'm going to pray, and we'll take an offering um, but if, you're, if your heart is moving and you would like prayer, I'm going to just hang out here in front of the sanctuary here. And if you have a, a physical need that, that you'd like prayer for, I'd love to pray in the name of Jesus. Or if God is moving on your heart and you feel like your eyes need to be open to the reality of God or to an area of blindness in your life, I'd also love to pray for you about that. So are you ready to let Jesus open your eyes today? And I read from Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Lord, I'm just asking you today, Lord, to open eyes, open our spiritual eyes, God, that we might see you. Lord, some of us maybe have never seen you before. Life doesn't quite make sense without you, God. So would you open eyes this morning?
Lord, and to those of us that have been following you, Lord, Lord, we may have areas of blindness, things that, that we don't quite see. God, would you open, open up our eyes to these things, God? Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, to know you. God, open our eyes. Lord, and I just, uh, I just pray for this offering, Lord. I just thank you that you're a good God, that you've given us so many things, Lord. You've blessed us in so many ways, God. And just may this offering be a response of our hearts, Lord, just thanking you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, use these gifts for your good, Lord, and for your kingdom. God, bless the givers. In Jesus' name.